Listening Dog Media. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Muddy News Media. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule in association with Football Manager. I'm Kate Borsay. Hello again. And with me today are a couple of queens of the mic and screen. Oh yes, first up. We can't wait until we are Man United again. It's oh. Hayley McQueen. Oh, I love what you did there. Thanks. Well done. Oh. And you won't find her wandering around like a lone wolf. Oh no, that's because she's adhering to the lockdown. It's Lindsay Hooper. It's also because I'm part of the pack. Yes, yes. that's true. <laughs> How are you both coping? And um, what about now the weather's taken a turn? Because it's kind of wintry out there today, isn't it, as we're recording this? Well, in one way, I was relieved. And I think Hayley would be as well, because we both suffer a bit from hay fever, don't we? Mm, we definitely do. And um, my house is a disaster. I've been ignoring all housework, unlike most people around the country whose houses are literally pristine, because that's all we've got time to do these days. But with a baby and outdoor sunshine, I decided to absolutely make the most of it. I spent that whole week in a paddling pool with the <laughs> child, having the best time of my life. Now I'm inside mm. and I can just see the dust just getting thicker and thicker and I, I just can't be bothered to do anything which is terrible I, I'm, I'm, I've adopted this very lazy lazy lifestyle now have naps when the baby naps all of that well there's mm. all kinds of stuff going on isn't there amidst this mm. coronavirus outbreak and again our thoughts lots of love to you guys listening out there however you're being affected um should we tuck into a bit of football ladies we've got quite a jam-packed show actually so let's delve into a couple of the lines just surrounding coronavirus um it, been a big week hasn't it project restart the most imaginarily named project title ever um this is uefa trying to get plans um for season finishes back on track trying to come up with some sort of plan uh, uefa have given leagues till the 25th of may um to put their restart plans in um the sun by the way understands that premier league clubs have been sent around a season finishing schedule and players will be asked to wear masks the Bundesliga return, you would have heard about that a couple of weeks ago. That's been pushed back at least a week. That's after a rise in COVID-19 cases over there. La Liga in Spain, they're planning a rapid return to training with an aim of restarting mid-June. France, well, they've cancelled their season. More on that to come a bit later on in the pod, by the way. Uh, Scotland are still in talks over their season. And Italy, uh, well, they've said that team sports must wait till at least May the 18th. So there's some interesting headlines coming there from around Europe. Hayley, just picking up on the France point and on the Premier League, um, what do you see more likely happening over here? Do you think um, the Premier League will call time like they have done with League 1 and League 2 over in France? Or do you think it's going to restart any feelings? I just think it's a lot of it is down to money and the money that the Premier League are going to have to owe, the television rights money. Um, unfortunately, yes, we are discussing, you know, health issues and there are people dying up and down the country and we certainly don't want to put anyone's lives at risk. But also money does have to come into it as well. And I think that's probably one of the only reasons that, you know, the Premier League is going to make sure that they finish the season, to be honest with you. It's going to be so strange if it is behind closed doors. There's no way I can see it going ahead with, with crowds in the stadium. I think it'll be cardboard cutouts if we're allowed to put them in the stadiums and putting some kind of crowd noise in there or something. I don't know. <laughs> Sky and BT are going to have to come up with something very creative to try and get a bit of 
atmosphere. But yeah, league uh, it just seems really strange because obviously PSG have been crowned winners. There's there's been relegation there. Europa League teams decided in Champions League, but it just seems weird that they were probably getting you know little text messages and a statement released, and you're just sitting there going, right, okay, great, I've won the league just at home with your oh, your your other half or on your own. It's just it's so weird. I I can't see that happening in in the Premier League. They did say originally May the 11th for getting back to full training. It looks like May the 18th now with that date of June the 8th for games to, to kick off. I mean, I can't even remember who's still to play who. It seems that long ago that we've seen seen live football. Yeah. Had to jog my memory as to, to which teams Manchester United still have. These are unprecedented times and there are strange things happening, of course. We've never seen anything like this before. It seems fitting as we talk about this that we invite Lindsay back in. She just popped off halfway through our conversation because, Lindsay, strange things going on in your house right now as we record this remotely. Are you alive? Are you OK? Well, my bungalow's just been hit by a bolt of lightning and then everything just Only went on off. the offside rule could this, could this possibly happen. <laughs> it was actually really quite scary and oh, so. everything went dark and it just lit up the whole house. <laughs> and then I lost you. But anyway, I am back. I am back. Um, I did pick up on the end of that. What I would say is from a Premier League perspective... I can't see the season not continuing in the sense that they're planning at the moment. They're sending advisories out for how to adhere to um, social distancing when training and when resuming that training that Hayley mentioned probably now going to be middle of May. I can't imagine they'd go to all these lengths for it not to continue at some point. But there are a lot of critics about that happening. You know, there's a lot of people saying then you know, friends and family of the players are put at risk as well as the players themselves. Um, And there's always going to be that argument to it. So it's a very difficult call to make. And how good is a mask going to be when there's there's sweat flying? We know what dressing rooms are like as well. They're all sat together closely on a bench. There are limited showers. I just can't see how they're going to... To, to, to do it um, mm-hmm. things might have been relaxed slightly by June the 8th or whenever it is that they do start to kick off but yes in training they will be wearing masks and training um, you know separately from each other um, at quite a distance but when it comes to 11 up against 11 on a pitch when you know you've got tackles going in and you've got you know contact there and you can't just suddenly have social distancing when you're you're on the football pitch The thing to keep an eye on are these tests that have been happening in Germany, these trials for a drug and a vaccine and some preventative measure now. They believe that they've got pretty close to that. And I think that's the thing to keep an eye on, because if you know that there is a way of having a vaccination um, against coronavirus, then that is going to open the field to more live sport happening, definitely. It would. But I, I think realistically, there are loads of stories flying around from people wanting extra funding, say, saying that, that they're close in terms of a vaccine. We're realistically not going to see that until next year. So I think the most important thing really is that we're not going to be the first people, you know, the Premier League isn't going to be the first league to go back. So we'll be able to look at the examples going on in Germany and in Spain. And um, in some ways that will help us because they will do much of the discovery process and we can just nick it basically in terms of um, applying it ourselves. Uh, Well, coming up on the show this week, we're talking about myth busting. That's after a team of German scientists, check this, they discovered that England are actually quite good at penalties, apparently. Uh, More on that later. And we're discussing the future of the Lionesses with one of our favourite footballers, Anita Asante. She's going to be joining us uh, in a short while. All that and more, we're live on Jack Radio, don't forget to, every Friday at four o'clock.
All right, well, let's head into the show with some unfinished business, uh, or as I've renamed it, France c'est fini. France is finished. It is. Uh, the league's one and two, un and deux in France, are over. So we thought we would uh, take a look at some unfinished business in football. We've been looking at other types of paraphernalia, football-related, and moments that were never completed either. Um, Lindsay, this was a bit inspired by you as well as France, wasn't it? Tell us why. It it was something I saw, actually, on social media. Somebody completing a Panini sticker book, however many years on. Um, And I just thought, imagine something that's just left there, not quite complete. Will it ever, ever be wholly finished? I think it was from 1979, wasn't it, the the sticker book that was posted out there? And one's one's from the 80s as well that this, this girl's dad had collected. And during lockdown, she'd managed to secure those um, elusive stickers. She'd managed to find them. Imagine that online, How, on the internet, when these when these sticker books weren't even around when Tinternet was around. Plenty of time, around. Lindsay. Plenty mm. of time in, uh, in uh, lockdown to do that, to do that kind of thing. Um, I'd like other unfinished things then. Who wants to kick us off? My theme is stadiums. Um, I was looking at things not quite finished off. I did contemplate going down the, the transfer route or something else, but there were just too many brilliant ones. When you look at stadiums that you thought were in the planning and in the offing that just still haven't been mentioned. I mean, Chelsea is a great example, isn't it? It was originally going to be the Battersea Stadium. Then there was going to be this huge redevelopment of Stamford Bridge. And we really don't know much about what's going on now. It's all gone quiet since Roman Abramovich pulled the plug during Brexit. So some others nearby, New Queen's Park, Stadium. Uh, it was going to be the new QPR stadium, a 40,000 seater, which was set to be at Old Oak Common. They released plans for them. It was going to be finished by 2018. And yet we're in 2020 in lockdown and there is no such thing. It never happened. Is it on ice or is it just gone cold forever? <laughs> and Coventry City is a, a, another one. That's just unfinished business. In 2013, uh, Tom Fisher told supporters that a new stadium would be designed and delivered in three years. Um, we went through all the whole disaster of the Rico Arena through then and then playing in Northampton. And to this present day, they've got ground sharing with Birmingham City at St Andrews. So that's unfinished as well. What's going to happen with Coventry? Who knows? At Hoops, do you remember in Brazil at the World Cup in 2014, the stadium in Sao Paulo? Do you remember us walking there and there being big cables coming out of the ground and stuff cordoned off with with sort of slightly dodgy hazard tape as we walked into this? Is that all still there? (laughs) Probably. It it, it was essentially an unfinished stadium. It was called the Arena de Sao Paulo. Lindsay and I were lucky to be there for the offside rule. Um, On the surface... It might have looked okay in the actual stadium, although there there basically was tarpaulin up to try and cover cover some of the scaffolding. But if you'd have gone underneath the arena, there was just a litany of um, unfinished health and safety hazards. So Brazil not being able to finish that Sao Paulo stadium for the World Cup. It has since been done, though. It's now home of the Corinthians. But that's just one of my overriding memories is, Le- is Lindsay and I walking into that stadium thinking, what are we going to be met with? <laughs> We needed a hard hat. Hayley. Do you know what? I needed a hard hat at Tynecastle. And carrying on this theme, you've just jogged my memory, obviously presenting at Scottish football. We'd gone and there's a new stand at Tynecastle has been kind of redone. Everything looks very shiny and lovely from the outside. And there's an area where the fans don't go, but we had to, to get to our television broadcasting box. And you would venture outside of the, I say studio, it was a room just with double glazed kind of windows. They had 
made the error, though, of putting seats in front of the windows. So people had their backs, literally, to the studio. We had to move them away. So we had to then have stewards in front of the window. So they, they hadn't quite realised the importance of a television studio being able to see out the window and the importance as well of being able to go to the toilet. So there was the gents just outside the door. The ladies' toilet was on the level below. Was there a staircase? No, there was just a concrete end and a massive drop before the next staircase <laughs> started because they, they hadn't quite finished. So I had to walk all the way through the fans on the outside, not of the outside of the stadium, but kind of the, the oh concourse down 115 steps to then go through the concourse to go up just to take a pee. And being pregnant at the time, you could imagine the trouble that that caused. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, football manager, by the way, who look after us here on the podcast. Very interesting because they have finished virtually uh, the League Two season. It was meant to finish this Saturday. Football manager did it instead. What happened? Well, Swindon edged out crew for top spot after an incredible run of form saw them lose just one of their remaining 10 games. Crew finished just a point behind Swind- uh, Swindon and were joined by Plymouth for automatic promotion. Um, Stevenage were relegated. Popo to at Football Manager on Twitter if you want to find out more about that and what else they're doing to help us in our minds uh, get some finality to the season. So mine again is another stadium, the Numastia. The first stone was laid back in March 2007, 13 years ago. Has it been finished? Has it? Heck. It was due to open in 2010-11 season, way in time for the, the team to be out of the stadium by the council by 2023. It was an agreement struck many, many years ago. So they've got three years to go. But you think, are they in this new stadium? They started building things in 2007. Well, new plans were then drawn up in 2013. Peter Lim then took over. He was a mega billionaire. And with every president, new promises of new stadium being opened that season, um, it's still not. There's a big problem. They don't have planning permission. They still don't have the funding. The new design hasn't even been given the green light. So the club remains in serious debt. Obviously, times right now in football are very hard. I don't think we're ever going to see a new Mastaya. And goodness knows what's going to happen with the Mastaya when, when the team are kicked out. They might have to move in with somebody else and do a big old, mm. big old stadium sharing job. Well, there you go. A summary of some unfinished things. Maybe we've inspired you to complete your Euro 2004 coin collection or anything else. Let us know at Offside Rule Pod. Uh, but up next, we're asking, did it work? Okay, well, it's always lovely to invite guests on the show. Part two is called England's Lionesses or Samarche. Did it work? Did the lioness experiment of the last few years work or not? This has been inspired a little bit by, um, you know, those photos that are floating around Twitter and Instagram. We've got two halves of different people's bodies. You might have someone lying down. It might be the chest of someone and the legs of someone else with the caption, did it work? And they blatantly don't work, do they? But we're going to be asking this serious question about Phil Neville and his time as lioness's manager. But we can't have this discussion alone, can we? No, it's time to bring in the opinion of a footballer. And I think this is really valid. Not just any footballer, by the way. Uh, recently a birthday girl. She celebrated her something birthday this week. I don't know how old you are. It's Anita Asante, Chelsea and England defender. Happy birthday from us, first of all, Anita. Thank you very much. 
And you've been away from from London for this lockdown, just so we can picture you residing somewhere now. Where are you? I'm in Penarth in Cardiff. So um, away from London, got some lovely uh, rolling hills and fresh air. So I can't really complain at the moment. It's It's really nice to be out here. Oh well, I'm glad that you've um, been able to escape the London smog, and um, of course you'll be you'll be training away there as well. And I know we don't know what's going to happen with the WSL season as it stands. One thing we do know, of course, surrounding women's football is the departure of Phil Neville. There was official confirmation on Friday morning from the FA that he's going to leave his contracts um, in July next year. It had been leaked a few days beforehand, though, so I don't think it came as as a big surprise, but did it surprise you when the rumours first sort of started swirling? Well, I think on the back of the World Cup, you know, I think there was probably an expectation that they would be looking at other options post that scenario, but it didn't happen. And from my perspective, at first, it appeared that the FA, he had the full backing support of the FA moving forward. So it was a little bit of a surprise, but I understand that, you know, if you're basing the results and performances of the current Lionesses, then, you know, something definitely needed to change. And, and that's and that's why, you know, this is this has probably happened. Why do you think it is, Anita, that it's to see out the contract? I've read several different articles that there are some saying that, you know, that the FA couldn't be seen to be paying someone off when they're furloughing staff. That might be a valid point. Or is it something to do with the fact that they also want to wait for the right person? I'm thinking maybe somebody like Casey Stoney that could apply to. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it it could be a matter of a timing, making sure that there is enough available time for the right candidates to come forward. Um, because some of them will be, like you say, club coaches and managers um, who, who need to see what you know their position is with their clubs um it might also be a financial thing in terms of paying out a coach under contract during you know a, a pandemic might not be um the greatest you know look pr wise for the national team federation so it could be a number of reasons but ultimately i think the lionesses need a change and 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 this is probably come at the right time should he bow out if a successor is secured quickly? Is there any pressure on him to do the right thing? And if it looks like the FA are close to having a successor and there's a confidential conversation between them, should he bow out? And then there's also the question of the timing of the Olympics as well. His contract ends in July, but the Olympics finishes in August. So there's a really awkward situation here whereby... His contract will have to be extended to include the Olympics if he does do the Olympics. But if a successor's found earlier, should that successor not do the Olympics instead? Where do you sort of stand on the timing of it all? Um, yeah, I think those are very good questions. I think they're you know very complex questions too. In terms of timing, I think if they feel they have a candidate in place uh, to, to take over immediately, then I would think it would be the honourable thing for him to step away because it's about the national team. It's about getting the national team into a position where they have time to develop, improve, and also hopefully get success when the next competition comes around. And in terms of the Olympics, I think it's a strange one because they haven't really, I believe, like confirmed either way if he's still in charge of the Olympics or not. So 
you know, it begs the question, are they looking to maybe potentially replace him there as well or not? And also there's an argument to be made that is there not potential to look at a different way to accrue a new manager for the Olympic team? perhaps a neutral person, perhaps two or three neutral coaches, a bit similar to hockey as well. So, yeah, I think it's very complex. The other option being debated is that you leave Phil Neville in charge of Team GB and the Olympics and you hire someone else to be Lionesses manager earlier than that. So you give him his role and, OK, it requires a bit more cash because you're investing early in a new Lionesses manager, but, but you know, you let someone else take on that, um, that uh, Lionesses responsibility. Either way, it is a bit of a headache for the FA, isn't it, Lindsay? Mm, yeah, and, and the, the next thing I guess we have to come on to is potential successors, Anita. Um, um, there's there's been that sort of long list, if you want, that's that's had several names in it from Emma Hayes and Jill Ellis, Nick Cushing, uh, Portland Thorns manager Mark Parsons, um, North Carolina in the NWSL as well, Paul Riley, uh, Casey Stoney, who I mentioned earlier. Have, have you got any to add or have you got any front runners that you think could be in contention? I mean, I think, you know, we, there's obviously a wealth of great coaches and, and obviously with that long list, of course, there's Mark Skinner as, as well from Orlando Pride. Mm. Yeah, ultimately, I think, um, you know, it would be nice, obviously, to see a female coach lead the national team as well. But it ultimately is about the person, the best person for the job, regardless of that. So what about your manager at Chelsea, Anita? If I'm to be cheeky and say Emma Hayes, we know that she's distanced herself from the we know that she's distanced herself in the past from the role. Do you think that's pretty much the same situation now? Yeah, I do. I think Emma, you know, she has her sights set on making Chelsea one of the most dominant teams within the WSL as well as in within Europe and Champions League. And I, I think she's very clearly made uh, it, you know, that statement that that's what she's motivated towards working towards so I honestly don't think she will be looking at this uh, opportunity as something to take on um, equally obviously there's been a lot of calls for Casey Stoney and I think she's doing a great job at Man United she's already working with some of the young talents within the country now and has an opportunity to continue to grow that brand grow that club as well as the, those players and perhaps this job has come around too soon but she definitely would be a candidate worth looking at because she's also played at that level. She has great experience and she knows, you know, what it takes uh, as a player. So could obviously offer a lot of experience there. Equally, people mentioned Jill Ellis. We know she's no longer the US national team and has worked with staff like Dawn Scott, who's back with the, the Lionesses. And obviously with her experience and her success has a lot to offer. That's my only question mark over all of this, Anita, is that appointment of Dawn Scott, because has there been enough time for her to come in working with Phil and show what they would be like as a team? And there's an element of me that has some sympathy for him in that regard, because he is the person that's brought her over, isn't he? Yeah, lots of questions still to be answered on that one. Um, what about you, Anita, in terms of Chelsea and the WSL and getting back to training? Still no news. I'm guessing you are in Wales for the foreseeable, are you? Um, yeah, at the moment. <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> I could be stranded here. No, um, we're, we're having lots of conversations uh, as a team and obviously with the club. And they've been very good, actually, to communicate with us 
um, ongoing conversations they're having with the league and obviously with our club directors. And we have some, we've always had some preliminary dates in place, but as like everyone else, they keep getting pushed back. So there is no concrete date at the moment as to when we will return. I think they are trying to create some form of return to play um, scenario if if, in de- if indeed we are able to play behind closed doors or a situation like that. But much like the Premier League, I think we will follow potentially whatever happens with the Premier League and the men's uh, men's game. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Some very valid points there. And it's always so good to get your perspective. It really is as a former Lioness and a, and a, and a senior player and just a very astute analyst of the game. Um, take care over in Wales. I don't know what, what good luck is in Welsh. I'm, so, I'm sure someone can t- tweet us in with it, but um, <laughs> enjoy Cardiff and, and everything attached. Um, and we'll catch up with you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Anita. Thank you for having me. Thanks very much to Anita Asante there. We picked up, didn't we, on Emma Hayes being one of the rumoured names. She has uh, stood back from that somewhat. And that's no change, really, is it, Lindsay? We spoke to Emma before Phil was appointed and asked her for the Offside Rule exclusives about the chance of her becoming the next England women manager. You know, I'd I'd made no secrets. I'm perfectly happy here. My head was never on England, so I think that's a non-starter. I really get the impression that Emma is fixed on wanting a Champions League trophy from Chelsea and I don't think we'll see her going to the FA before she's got that. We should note as well, women's football and the profile of it has increased so much in this country and Phil Neville has been a part of that. He is an international name. Okay, he's not a mega, mega star in football, but he's certainly, because of his Manchester United career, you know, well recognised throughout the world as a major Mm. player in football. Hayley, you know Phil well. He's been credited, hasn't he, for the way that he's handled the players. He may not have always got his tactics right. He may have spoken up a bit too much at the end of the game, set expectations too high um but he is respected isn't he in the way that he deals with people and with players yeah exactly and just to kind of echo the thoughts that you 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 know you've both put across there as as anita said as well in her her interview there when we chatted to her uh, that phil was very brave in press conferences he demanded an audience because of his name journalists were a little bit more interested in what was happening in the women's game because of his name. And I definitely think that helped raise the profile of the women's game as well. I think it needed at the time to be a big name. Um, Now I think it does need to be a female. There's enough talent out there. But he did generate a lot of excitement, generated extra attention and to a certain degree as well, some very important issues. He was very outspoken about how the the women travelled in economy and they should be looked after slightly better. He wasn't afraid to kind of go out there and say it as it was. He wasn't afraid to speak to the the players as well um, and be very open with all of them and have that brilliant communication. He's used to obviously coming from a big family, a big sporting family. He's been taking tips from from his brother, Gary, and uh, probably more importantly from his sister as well, his twin sister, Tracy, and the fact that she manages large numbers of females. So he had her to turn to and has watched her throughout his career. But I think... His communication with the players, I remember reading an interview saying, you know, he's got wonderful one-on-one understanding with all of us. Um, And I think Steph Horton had said as well, you know, he always reminds us about not eating too much ice cream or what we're going to be doing that evening or if somebody Damn wants to him. go to this I know if, if if one of us is going to go to the cinema he'll, he'll kind of ask what movies we'll like he'll remember that you went ask how it went he said you know mm. he sent every player text messages 
every few days and try to keep up with all of us, which you can imagine is a feat in itself it's trying to look something. after. What's what's going to be next for him, though? Obviously, you, you know, you will have interviewed him plenty during your time at, at MUTV. We both went to St George's Park, didn't we, together and interviewed him before the World Cup. And, and you noted then how much of a better talker he was, how, how big his statements were compared to him being much less like that as a player. What's, what's sort of next in his development, do you think, in his, in his journey? Well, he's definitely going to continue being a coach, I imagine. I don't know how far he's going to get with management. I think the way that football is at the moment, who knows what jobs are going to be out there, who's going to be looking for a Phil Neville type person, whether there's going to be enough money out there to tempt him to a much, much lower league club than he'd maybe have set his sights on initially. I think being the England women's manager has done a lot for Phil Neville because he's gone out there and proven that he, he can coach. Yes, he hasn't exactly ended how he started. You know, we got off to a winning start in the She Believes Cup and he, he tried to grow a new team. Hasn't quite worked out in the end, but he's shown that he can go out there and coach. I, It's just really hard to figure out where he's where he fits in football, whether he does maybe go to the United States, whether something like that might suit him and because of his name as well out there. I don't know whether family will come into it. He's made the move before, of course, um, and, and moved abroad and taken on a whole new lifestyle. The thing as well is he, he does also enjoy doing the media, doesn't he? He, he yeah. does and a lot where it. I work at Premier mm. League Productions. He's very good at it and he's done quite a lot with the BBC. I can't imagine him leaving all of those media duties behind to go to the US, although I think that might be a good fit for him in a way. Hoops, yes or no, with the vacant position at Manchester City Women being the location and the club are, you know, of, of very high standing in, in, in Phil's world, would he go there? Be, being a former Man United player as well, would he do it? No, I don't okay. think he would. I don't think he'd step down, which is what he would see it as, from being Lioness's manager to a club manager. OK, well, we'll see what's next for Phil Neville and, of course, uh, the Lionesses and Team GB in the weeks to come. But next up, it's time to bust some myths. OK, so we've done France Sefini. Uh, we've, uh, we've been talking about England's lionesses. Now it's time for Germany's Mythbusters, uh, the least good of my topic titles. Um, but this relates to scientists who are pretty busy at the moment, aren't they? But not every single one of them, because some of them are data analysts and not busy during the pandemic. Um, a group of them in Germany have discovered that England are actually among the best in the world at penalties. Mm. I don't believe this. No, nonsense. What is this madness? Anyway, I will move on from that. Uh, it is true, though. So let's look at busting a few other football myths whilst we're at it. Lindsay. One of the ones that I wanted to address was for Portsmouth fans. Because there's a bit of a rumour down south that Arthur Conan Doyle was their first ever goalkeeper in history. And I'm talking about the crime fiction writer. Mm. Now, he was a goalkeeper and he did play for an amateur Portsmouth side, but he wasn't the very first goalkeeper in the history of Portsmouth Football Club. So let's bust that myth right now. <laughs> Hayley. Um, what about the term soccer? Well, that was our fault because the English 
decided on football, association football becoming soccer, when they tried to kind of um, make a difference between rugby football, when both football associations formed in 1863, rugby and football, they were both called football, but there was rugby football and association football. So how did they try and distinguish between them? Well, it was just called soccer. It was used quite popularly through the early um, 1900s. Uh, It was then used in America because obviously they had a type of football and because it got too American, we just decided to stop using it. So it's the English, it's the English people's fault for calling it soccer. I see. I never, ever knew that. Here's a popular myth that we can all bust between us. Girls who work in football can't actually possibly like football, can they? I think we all must get asked that about a zillion times a day. Do you actually do you actually watch it? Do you actually like it? Yes, we do. So there's a there's another popular myth busted from me. Ryan Giggs could have played for England. Is this true? Well, that he never had Giggsy, the option of playing for England. We can clarify this. He was born in Cardiff to Welsh parents and only moved to the Manchester area when he was seven. He captained the England schoolboys, which led many people to think, oh, well, he should be able to play for England then. But uh, the England schoolboys was related to where you lived not your nationality. With both parents being Welsh, it meant he could not play for England. FIFA did change the eligibility rules in 2009, but that didn't apply. I can lead on from that one and take it even wider to foreign players, Kate, because I I know there was all that myth when we were growing up, you know, why couldn't Ryan Giggs have chosen England because he played for the schoolboys? There was also that when um, Mikel Arteta hadn't chosen anybody, supposedly, because he hadn't had a Spanish cap at that point. And many people saying, oh, he could have represented England. Only foreign born players who've lived in England for five or more years. And this is the important point prior to the age age of 18 are eligible to play for this country. So if you think about that in the future, you see some hotshot coming through. They needed to have been in the system from under 18 for at least five years. And that's why Raheem Sterling plays for England, because he actually is Jamaican born, but he was here and he was playing from a very early age and definitely prior to 18. So that sort of wraps that up and makes it a bit clearer, hopefully. Any more myths you want to bust quickly, Hayley? Okay, so what about... The myth that Roman Abramovich actually basically saved Chelsea and have made them a big club when they were just a mediocre club, a mid-table club. Well, they actually weren't. They weren't mid-table. What happened to Chelsea before he took over? Well, they'd won the league title, two League Cups, two UEFA Cup Winners' Cups, the UEFA Super Cup and three FA Cups. So when people claim that before 2003 they were this mid-table club, they were absolutely wrong because they'd finished fourth, sixth, sixth, fifth, third, fourth and sixth in seven seasons before Abramovich (laughs) took over at the club. So he didn't come in and save them. He just injected them with a heap load of cash and managed to buy some fancy players. Okay, well, which footballer do you think has the most myths written about him? He's the cause of salacious gossip, um, fake newspaper columns. Mario Balotelli. Yes, he actually did some pretty stupid stuff as well. So let's give you a little myth or fact quiz, Mm -hmm. shall we, uh, to round up this topic. Um, Fireworks were set off in Balotelli's house the day Mm. before the Manchester derby. Myth or fact? Well, they were set off, but it was his friend, not him, wasn't it? Okay, well, they were set off in his house. That's true. You're absolutely correct. Uh, He went around Manchester dressed as Santa Claus, giving money out to people. Is that myth or fact? Hayley? Myth. Okay, well, you come in there with myth, and that's correct. This one is for you, Hayley, then. He gave money (laughs) to a homeless person. (laughs) He gave money to a homeless person after winning at a casino. 
Yeah, I can imagine that's a fact. Walking out of the casino with a wedge of cash and just saying, hello there, take this. It is a myth, I'm afraid, Hayley. Uh, Mario Balotelli, Lindsay, for you. He returned home with a trampoline and a quad bike after being sent to buy an ironing board. Myth Mm. or fact? I will go for a fact for that one. Okay, I think it's fact. It is a fact. He did uh, get massively diverted like every good person uh, when they went shopping. Sounds like me. Um, Here's your last one then. Hayley, he confronted a school bully after finding out that a fan outside City's training ground was being bullied. Is that a myth or a fact? Mm. I would like to say it's a fact because that would be a lovely thing to do, but I'm not quite sure he'd been able to head into a big crowd and put somebody down in public because of his famous name. I think I'm going to have to say that's a myth. I'd like it to be true, though. You are indeed correct. Nice story, but not true. It is a myth. Well, well done, ladies. I think you commanded most of those uh, Balotelli facts. It's interesting, isn't it, when you uh, dredge up all the newspaper stories um, that have been written about him. So many more to go through as well. Uh, We'll round up that topic then and uh, time to finish on any other business. Okay, so let's round up with our any other business. This is the point where we look at some fun, quirky, nice stories uh, this week that you uh, otherwise might have missed. Hayley, I'm going to go to you. Okay, well, where is Marwan Fellaini? <laughs> he is currently in China playing and unfortunately has been suffering in hospital with coronavirus. He is oh, out. No. He is well, but it really knocked him out despite being fit as a fiddle, still training, still playing. And he's very kindly... Lent, by the way, not given, not donated, but lent his former team, Standard Liège, three million euros to stop them going into administration. Um, I think he will invest some of that money, but the rest is going to be put into the club just to stop them from from going into administration, along with a couple of other uh, big name ex-players as well. So well done to him battling the coronavirus and battling to save his former club. Yeah, on that note, um, Johnny Jackson, who's Charlton's assistant manager, he's pretty handy with a guitar. This has been floating around on social media. Um, He recorded his own version of the Jam's classic That's Entertainment, instead changed it to That's Isolation, uh, made it a lockdown tune, um, was really popular on social media, and he did it for a good cause. He was meant to be running uh, the London Marathon on Sunday and instead has asked for donations after um, releasing on social media that brilliant track. Um, Go and have a listen, it's good. Lindsay. For any fellow Wolves fans, I want to alert them to a really good fundraiser that's happening at the moment. They may have spotted on social media and other networks that there's a big campaign from former players and current players to try and raise money for New Cross Hospital in Wolverhampton. And that's where I was born. Carl Henry, who's a former player of ours, is one of the players uh, behind it. And they've got signed Connor Cody boots that you can get, Benica Phoebe signed Wolf shirt, a Matt Jarvis signed Wolf shirt. So far, they've managed to raise over £40,000. Their target's over 50, not far to go, and it's all for a brilliant cause. And it's great to see that everyone's rallied together for that. Gareth Bale donated half a million quid, didn't he, to the hospital where he was born? Just uh, adding that adding that in for you, Lindsay. Well, half I don't think quid. Carl Henry and Matt Jarvis can afford that. <laughs> <laughs> or, 
Or you, in fact. Uh, or me, or me. <laughs> Let me just say, I'm, I'm at the bottom of that pile. <laughs> um, Jose Bruno has, by the way, been out um, delivering goods uh, made in the club's kitchen garden, uh, which is located at their training ground. Do you remember the last time he was out kind of delivering shopping to people who were self-isolating? He wore something akin to a pair of pyjamas. Uh, this time, however, he's been spotted uh, wearing the full club tracksuit and looking rather dapper. So well done to him, Jose Mourinho, um, giving out goods from Spurs' kitchen garden. Anyone with anyone else? Anything else? It's a kind of unfinished business to to, to, to insert in here. I was going to mention it a little bit earlier, but it's been in the news this week that Mauricio Pochettino has come out and said he wants to return to Tottenham. Mm. Uh, he did a big interview and said, you know, from the day I left the club, my dream is actually to one day be back and finish the work we didn't finish. He said, yep, yeah, deep inside, I would like one day to be back. This club is very special. So watch out, Mourinho. He said that he wants to get a trophy, doesn't he? Mm. Very interesting indeed. Um, Lindsay, I've got to say a big thank you to you. I watched the whole of Netflix's The English Game in one night whilst doing my tax accounts. <laughs> Good, wasn't <laughs> at it? the weekend. Thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, Fergus Souter and Jimmy Love epic Scottish footballers and perhaps the fact that the passing game was invented in, in Scotland as you pointed out last week Lindsay it's a great series um, one definitely to watch during lockdown that's the English game on Netflix alright we're going to round it up there girls if that's okay uh, we'll be back again next week more shenanigans and capers and lockdown tales I'm sure uh, if you're listening you can get in touch with us via Twitter and Instagram with your thoughts at Offside Rule Pod you can give us your unfinished business stories or anything else you want to share with us after the show you can also check out our website too offsiderulepodcast.com plenty of good content there um, our editor Tom Dean has been speaking to quite a few female footballers on how they've been dealing with lockdown and how training's going and how they're approaching it so some good stuff on there uh, Hayley and Lindsay uh, the weekend approaches I'm guessing you are doing a home disco perhaps an escape room via Zoom uh, maybe you're going to be doing some quarantinis uh, which is the newly named oh. cocktail hour in lockdown quarantinis I like that I'm up for those I'll be going absolutely <laughs> wild all weekend absolutely wild <laughs> yeah well let's hope that the weather improves shall we um, take care from all of us here at the Offside Rule um, to you our lovely listeners however you're checking us out uh, across uh, social media uh, or across the website we hope you're doing well and um, big thank you from us to everyone key workers who are looking after us uh, during this pandemic and we'll have more for you next week until then goodbye the offside rule is a muddy knees media production for sales and advertising email sales at muddyneesmedia.com Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.